Welcome to On Purpose, a podcast designed for all women that want to live this one messy, hard, fun, challenging, and exciting life we've been given on purpose and with intention. It is our heartfelt belief that women do that better when we're together, better when we are connected, better when we learn from each other. Each episode, you'll be hearing from Elizabeth and a guest on a variety of ways that we can be more intentional with our lives. We hope to inspire you and encourage you as we engage together on purpose. Here's your host, Elizabeth Pearson. It's Tuesday, which means we are back together again. And you know what? Gathering never gets old. Welcome to On Purpose. Y'all, I am absolutely giddy about today. And if you have ever spent any amount of time with me, you've heard me talk about our guest more times than you can count. So after college, I moved to my hometown of Lakeland, Florida. And one day I saw the front page of our newspaper and it had a huge photo on it, welcoming a new young family to our town as the new owners of a local car dealership. This family has 12 children. It was like my very own cheaper by the dozen dream. And I just had to know them. So back then, we had to actually pick up the landline and call information. So I called and I got their number and I asked the mom if I could take her out to lunch. And that day started not only a beautiful friendship, lots of really fun memories, but also the best mentors a couple could ask for, Bill and Pam Mutz. And so today's guest is the one, the only Bill Mutz. Bill, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to be here, but that's way too much credit and build up for me. You no, know, not I, at we're all. We're just people that struggle through life together just like you. That's one of the reasons I love you. This is seriously a treat for me. People think that I am busy. They don't know how busy can be until they meet you. Bill, you have 11 living children and how many grandchildren? We just had our 30th, or I'm sorry, excuse me, our 29th last weekend. But we have our 30th and 31st cooking and they'll be here by December. Oh my goodness. Okay, 11, 11 <laughs> living children and soon to be 30 and 31 grandchildren. You have more roles than anyone I know, and you are the mayor. So thank you. I really can't thank you enough. There are so many things I love about you, but probably more than anything, I love how well you love people. You have always been such a huge cheerleader of mine, such an encourager. You're just a dream enabler, and it's a gift. And so I wanted to start off by asking you, have you always been that way, or has this been something you've developed? Well, I think I probably have been a person that's been optimistic. So when you think about being optimistic, you're, you tend to think about, I wonder what we could do. And you don't see the hurdles so much. But I will tell you, I lost a lot of that when we first got married. I think I focused a lot more early on in our marriage on, hey, we have to get through this thing. We have a lot of kids. We've got a lot of work to get going. And I don't think I was doing as much dream enabling for Pam, my wife, yeah. as I could have, should have. And I think it took me almost 10 to 15 years to realize that. And how did you come to that realization? I would see Pam, and my wife is superbly creative and, and she has no limits. So limits to Pam are just like, why are they there? <laughs> and so she, she wants to try everything. And so I would look at myself as the flappers on the pinball machine to keep this game in the middle and let's be serious and purposeful and make sure we get our kids to school and all that kind of thing. It wasn't that Pam didn't want to do those things too. It's just that she always wanted to do more beyond that. I can remember early on, she said, oh, I need to take a cake decorating class. And this is when we have four or five kids. And I said, what for? And she goes, because I got to have more ideas for when I do birthday parties and do those kinds of things. And I'm going, you don't need a cake decorating class. And I guess we just do normal cakes. So I moved to this 
pragmatic role. And she's never made the same themed birthday cake for any one of our kids' <laughs> birthdays. I don't know the numbers. It would be 350 cakes or something out there of different designs in time. So it became an important thing. And I'm going, why is it so important? But I watched her do it. And I watched her come home and see some of that. And then she wanted to do the same kinds of things in art. And art classes take time. And mm-hmm. she wanted to do tennis classes and tennis classes take time. And so I think I was always pushing back a little instead of starting to think about, wait a minute, how can I make these things happen for Pam? So I did some of it that yep. maybe probably satisfied me a little bit that I was appeasing and addressing those things. See, that was the wrong attitude yep. that I was having. I'm accommodating instead of growing and working on thriving. And that was the switch that took more than a decade to flip. And Bill's not lying. Pam is highly, wildly creative, and she also is highly, wildly energetic. And that's just one of many, many, many examples. But the term enabling, I think, has taken on such a negative connotation. It it appears, though, to me as if you've reclaimed that word with the phrase dream enabler. Can you explain this phrase or this concept? Yeah, so I, I think we're predisposed to know. Typically in life. So when people ask us questions, we tend to be like, no, 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 costs too much, takes too much time. Whatever it is that is the limiter and opportunities many times look us as interruptions. And we're not looking for more interruptions. We're looking for less. Even at the city level, let's just transfer this to the city level. We can have somebody who comes in and they have an idea and you think about infrastructure, the time it would take, people we've got to take this before and you go, no, that's just probably not going to work. And I think that's unfortunately how cities can grow to have their staffs perform, which is say no and then see if they go away. When in fact, you need to think about what's the way to get the yes? How can we find the path that would go yes? And so that means you automatically have to put flaps on what's practical, which when you're a pragmatist <laughs> and when you're a frugal and a realist, that's hard to do. You have to put a welcome mat out for interruptions. Yeah. And so that you're saying, okay, bring them on. I want to hear them. And you have to pan gold for the nuggets that you can find out of those ideas and start to accumulate those nuggets over here on the side to say, here's how we could do this. So how do we get the yes? And it's a complete shift mentally from what might be your normal pragmatic disposition. And it isn't irresponsible and it can feel irresponsible. If you're dream enabling, you have to be predisposed to yes, and you have to figure out how could we lift up this idea. We live in a city that has a lot of entrepreneurs growing in it. And so we have fostered that to even be more rapid. And it's a little bit like a snowball going down a mountain. Once it starts to build up some momentum, you have all these ideas. I just walked out of a meeting where literally we might be bringing about 50 to 60 employees into town for an IT idea that could be transformed formative in industries we all touch that doesn't exist yet. And you're thinking about how do we figure out how to make this happen? And, and I remember times when we would have just said, no, it's too much work. There's too much lift. Yep. And I can see that on a city level, but more personally, I know you have been a huge advocate of my families and of me for so many years, but what are some ways that you can think of? I love the example with Pam, but to bring it closer to home to the people that you interact with and know and love. Like, can you think of any examples about with your kids? Because I know I have four in college right now as they're embarking and launching into their futures. And instead of going, I don't know about that city or I don't know, can you make any money in that? I want to be a dream enabler.
enabler. So can you speak yes. into that? Yeah, so let's be really practical because that's a great area to be able to do it. We encouraged our kids to pursue what they felt like they were most gifted in okay. and not to put parameters on that for them. I had a car business. And so with the 11 kids, I thought somebody's going to come back in and <laughs> want to work with me. And the I would do it. <laughs> and we had encouraged them so much to think about everything else and their area of giftedness because all of our kids have different gifts in different areas and you know what they are and their passions will always follow your gifts. And so when you know you have giftedness, you've got to look at where are those passions. And as parents, we had to be predisposed to want to pursue those dreams. It made a difference in what colleges we looked at. It made a difference in what sports they were involved in or what other musical skills they pursued. It made a difference in the, what those things are going to cost. And instead of focusing on the limiters, you've got to focus on the things that knock out all the limitations. And, and a great example of this for me was we were at a track meet and the girl who ran hurdles for our team had won the state and two times in a row up for the hundred meter hurdles. I look at hurdles as the last possible event I would ever <laughs> want to be involved in track. I can't imagine why anybody would want to do that. I'm standing in front of the, that whole line of hurdles before a race and standing there talking to her. And I said, tell me what you see when you see this. Cause all I can see are these little white bar lined up to the, <laughs> just immediately said the finish line. I said, you don't see the hurdles. She goes, no. I jumped the hurdles. I just see the finish line and how quickly can I get there? That may sound like a silly story. No. I thought to myself, I don't see the finish line at all. I see the hurdles. And as parents, we've got to ask ourselves, am I focused on the finish line? So we'll figure out how to jump the hurdles. We'll take them one at a time as you get to them. We'll figure out how to get around that. We'll make it work so that your predisposition is, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. That's not irresponsible. When you know you're going to be responsible frugally and you're going to figure out a way to be able to pay for those things. And, you're, and there is a method. Don't find the things that are the hurdles. Find the finish line. Yeah. Why is it that my eyes are drawn to those hurdles, particularly when it comes to my children? I don't know if it's for protection or is it fear or what, but just to be able to better tune into that finish line. I think it's a great question. And that is because we're protectors. It is protection. You use the word. So if you think about us as parents, we have grown up broadening the bullseye from the total protection we provide to broader arenas that we let them move in as that part goes out farther and farther in rings. And now we get to the point where we don't want their heart search. We don't want them to find out we don't yeah. have money enough. We don't want them to find out whatever that limiter might be. And so it protects us a little too. Silos are the safest place to live but you, there's no view, okay? There's no view out of a silo. And so you want to make sure that you get out of the silos of comfort that we are predisposed to want to stay in and recognize that we have to dream in order to figure out a place to go that's a different vision than we would do in what's comfortable. And where we can see problems with this is in second and third generation businesses where kids have been asked to be part of the business and it wasn't their dream and the business fails. Think how few third generation businesses survive because it was the grandfather's dream or the father's dream. Yep. We, we don't want to be role assigners. We want to be dream enablers. And that means we've got to dig into what the vision is and passion for that child. 
Yeah. With our eight kids, everyone always asks, who's going to take over David's business? And he always has, he hopes nobody because dentistry has changed so much. But you're right, we do. We often assign that to our kids. Another thing I wanted to touch on is we were talking about just the idea of this dreaming with our children. But yet, I feel like as we age, sometimes we stop dreaming as we get older. And that's one of the things I do love about you and Pam. I think just recently she was taking a college class and then she decided to write a book and I mean, in her 60s. Right. And can you... No, 70. Yeah, in the 60s, almost 70. We're going to be 69 in November. But I think about, <laughs> I know these 70s friends that are barely walking and that's not my wife. <laughs> no, that is not your wife. She was on a bike the other day, FaceTiming me and like, just wanted you to see the view. And she's letting me see everything that she's seen as she's riding her bike around town. I just love that. That wasn't the purpose of this, but I want to encourage women, men, as we age to not stop dreaming. Somehow along the line, I feel like we've done that. And I think by dreaming and chasing those dreams, we can stay young. And you and Pam are two of the youngest 69-year-olds that I know. <laughs> I know a fun year. And I will tell you, she's a big part of that. I'm a more flexible, fun person because of who I married. She has been a huge influence on that in me. I'm going to my 50th high school reunion this weekend. I can't imagine being 35 years old that I could go to a 50th high school reunion <laughs> because in my mind, that's where I am locked back somewhere. And it's because we don't have limits. We do a uh, a trip with our kids. This is something we enable dreams of. After our kids get married, we say to the couples, we'll do one trip in your lifetime on a place on the ball of earth that you'd like to go and that we pay for. But we want to have it be the four of us that have this trip. You guys decide what it is you want to do. So that means a week and a half from now, I leave to go to on a gorilla crawl in East <laughs> Africa. <laughs> with our daughter who lives in Atlanta. I was just going to say, a gorilla call, yeah. it has to be Kelly. <laughs> is it Kelly? You're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> this is Kelly's choice. I go, what? And But it's going to be a sensational trip. There's nothing limiting in either one of our minds about that trip. That's just something that, you know, and you get to trek and see the gorillas in their nests, wherever those nests may be, and go through there. <laughs> and, and I'm looking forward to it. But Pam is not limited by anything like that. It keeps you younger and it adds memories that you can do with your kids that you wouldn't otherwise. So dreaming goes into lots of areas. It's not just locational. It's yeah. where do we vacation? It is how do we spend time at Christmas? What traditions do we pursue? What could we be doing differently than we ever did it before? How could we make it better when there's problems? And it, there, we are limited by reality. So there are limits to money. There are limits to time to be able, that's able to spend. But you know what? In most cases, you can figure out a way. It's that we have said no too quickly yeah. instead of thinking through what we could do on a possibility basis. I love that you said that. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but do you remember the very first vacation we took together? Whistler. Yeah, Whistler, Canada. <laughs> I was I was a single, did not have any money, and I wanted to do this trip so badly, but I was like, how am I going to do this financially? How am I going to do this? So I figured out a way that if I was able to get 50 people to sign up on that trip, I could go for free. So I did get to go for free, and that's when I met and fell in love with y'all on a deeper level. But during that trip, this is I just have to bring this up because you said that you're not 
as fun as you would be if you were not married to Pam. I don't know if I believe that because you <laughs> probably don't even remember this, but we get to, I think it was Vancouver and we had a hotel for that night. And so right. now, mind you, they had, I think, 10 kids at the time. And, and so we get into this cab and I'm thinking, well, is one adult going to go in one cab and one going to go in the other? And you grabbed me and Pam and I think a couple of kids, but the other kids were on their own in the cab behind us. And I kept thinking, here we are in Canada. They don't know where they are. I don't even know the name of the hotel. And we are driving and I kept looking back. Is, is the cab, is it going to stay up with us? And then you see some fisherman's wharf and you're like, hey, is that a good place to eat? And the cab driver says yes. And you're like, great pull over. And the other cab just goes flying by. And I'm sweating. I'm like 24 years old thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to those kids? And I don't know if you remember this, but later that night after I stressed out all day and y'all had so much fun, you didn't have a care in the world. You're like, they're going to figure it out. They're going to get back to the hotel. We get back to the hotel. Do you have any idea what I'm going to say? You know why you don't? Because you are fun on a daily basis. So this does not stand out to you. But we get back to the hotel and all all the kids are in the hotel and they all have buckets of ice and they're pelting us with ice. And you put on this stern face like you were they were in trouble. And I was like, oh, this is going to be awkward. I should leave. And you start taking all the buckets of ice and you hand one to Pam, you hand one to me. And you're like, ice fight. And we just start throwing ice at the kids. And I thought, what dad does that? So Bill, you underestimate yourself. You are very fun. All right. All right. All right. Maybe. But we've had a lot of fun. But we've had food fights like that at dinner too before oh. where we ended up where it got enough sideways to go make it official it's a food fight and everybody starts throwing food yeah i've had <laughs> more than one fun. meal at your house where you serve spaghetti with no utensils and no plates yes yeah, yeah. very fun <laughs> yeah you do it's all... very fun you can use your mouth if you don't want to use your hands just bend over <laughs> that work that works too so you talked a little bit about you talked about how you dream enable for pam and we've hit some great things with your kids but what about like where do you find other people and other ways to enable their dreams Sure. I think mentoring is a very key way to be able to do that. And it's one of the reasons, by the way, that we want to mentor. I think about the fact that we aren't as multi-generational in our culture today as most societies have been historically. We think about the Waltons, maybe if you can go back to the <laughs> yeah. oldest show that we saw where they would all say goodnight multi-generationally to each other when the light went out. But beyond that, they were influencing each other. They were learning from each other. So mentoring is hugely important. Because of two reasons. One is that the playing fields of life are not equal at all. There's much differentiation between where some people grow up in some arenas versus others. And there are people who grow up with no hope. They have seen so much failure around them. They have seen very few role models in their life that they've got to have someone that shows them a value set of what is possible, including what kinds of vocations are even possible to be able to do. So I think a crisis across our culture is middle school, high school mentoring to try and enable kids to see what it is that can be done in professions they might want to work towards pursuing. At the center and the core of that is providing hope. When you cease to have hope, then you don't chase passions. You become cynical. You make excuses for every reason why you can't do something instead of finding ways to do something. So the whole opportunity of mentoring is really to turn on the switch that can enable dreams so that they can see a place, a direction to go, have hope on how to get there and have purpose in life. 
Passion follows hope. And so the first thing we need to do, the footer in all of this is that you can see yourself going somewhere. That's a long process. We're doing it at the city level because we have never done this before. So we have 60 high school students that people who volunteers to be mentors are working through and we meet monthly and we're doing it for two years. So we pick them up as juniors and their senior year as well. Then we expose them to opportunities both within city of Lakeland, because there's many professions within the city, as well as bring in speakers from other professions to be able to talk about things and allow them to tell us who they else they'd like to see. That has helped them focus on their college choices in terms of majors. If you start this younger, and there's other groups that are working with middle school students, and we haven't done this before, but we're now working to try and use companies do this citywide, they can be, they can get into academies that we uh, have yep. within Lakeland that mm-hmm. help them learn within those academies. And that gives them a taste earlier and before they might get it and not like it when they would become a major out of school, or if it's not that they're going to go to college, a vocational school that they would go to, that carries that on. So I think dreaming, if we want people to have hope, if we want people to live purposefully, they've got to follow their passions. They've yep. got to know their giftedness. Yep. And then they've got to have a sense of what their calling and purpose is in life and stay in that lane that keeps you from comparing to everybody else. Yep. And you focus on what it is that you have a capacity to do and you desire to do and you chase your dreams. If I can do one more little oh, add yeah. on to this. I had a college student that made an appointment with me because he wanted to talk about, he had a political science interest. What is it like to be in the in city government? And I frankly met with him somewhat unenthusiastically, really deep down, but just wanting to make sure I'm available and listening to somebody who has an interest. I listened to this student who got himself here from Columbia and figured out how to find scholarships and get here. By the time we were done, I said, yeah, you and I are going to meet every month. And I want to do this. I want to do this for the next 24 months. And we're going to work on things that we have to do because you can sit here and know here is somebody who wants to grow. And it's so easy not to move into those moments. And I can carve out, we can all carve out a, an hour, 90 minute period of time once a month with someone to help change the trajectory of their life. We've got to be predisposed to yes, when it's the right opportunity. Sometimes people don't want to work for those things. But this guy it reeks of someone who just wants to go and grow. And so when we have that there, you grab your watering can and start watering. Oh, I love that. And I've seen you in action, not just with mentoring and people in high school, but younger couples like David and me. And so I so appreciate that speaking from someone that's the beneficiary. What you do and how you live is, I don't even know if this is the right word, but contagious, affectious, is that the right word? But like, it is contagious. And so the person that's listening today who says, gosh, I want to be that. I want to be a dream enabler. What are some things that they should be prepared for? Start with the sidewalk in front of you. And just figure out one thing that you can do. Someone in the world that's right around you, it might be that they admired your shoes and they can't afford them. And you get them up there. It might be that you hear that they'd love to be able to do something, some activity sometime. So you invite them a week later to do that. Start by building relationship and start by watching the smiles on their face as they have an opportunity to do something they've thought about. Dreams vary broadly with people in their ages. And so you want to meet them where they are. 
don't supersede six chapters down the road because you've missed the opportunity to do for chapter two, three, four, and five. When you can't do that, I always would advise parents, don't buy your kid a new car, buy them a used car, have them learn how to take care of a car, have them wreck a used car instead of a new car <laughs> because the, their least uh, ability to drive is in the very, very beginning. But besides that, broken things that you have to learn how to fix cause you to be more creative and they cause you to be more frugal. So part of what we're teaching too is just practicalness in life without nothing, the dream and the process, but figure out the thing you can do with someone around you and just do it. You'll get better at it as you go. You'll see a broader range of opportunities as you grow, but there's something in front of us and every one of us that we can do for somebody else, look for it. And if you can't figure it out, then when you're at Chick-fil-A and you're going through the drive-thru, just buy for the car behind. <laughs> no, as I've been thinking through this topic leading up to our call today, it's been rolling around in my head. And I had a real-life example of that very thing that happened to me this week. And I haven't been able to solve that dream or enable that dream and make it happen yet. But I sat across from a girl who was telling me about the moment that her father passed away and just the experience of that and watching someone cross from earth to heaven. And then she got real watery-eyed and she said, you know, the one thing that I've always wanted to do, always wanted to do was see someone come into life, but not being able to have children. I've never been able to do that. And I looked at her, she was very watery-eyed and emotional about it. And I looked at her and I said, I'm going to find somebody that will let you be in that delivery room. She just said, there's just, it's been a dream of mine to see someone be born. Perfect. 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 How many times have we gone to a funeral just to pivot off that? where we listen to the story of the person's life and what's the thing we think, oh, I wish I'd spent more time with that. Yeah. I wish I had known that person better because you didn't realize all the things that the family talks about and the merits that they had. Yeah. There's richness in people's lives. There really and there's is. Also, and, and there's also hopes and dreams just like this that they don't talk about. So when they do, I consider those things very vulnerable, teachable moments, and they predispose convenience and you move into that opportunity. As we wrap up, since our podcast is called On Purpose, we like to end every episode with the question, what's one step or one thing that someone can do on purpose today to be a better dream enabler in somebody else's life? And you're asking me that question now, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just didn't know that was rhetorical for the rest of you, or if I'm the one put on the money. <laughs> well, you already said start the sidewalk in front of you, which I really do like, but I just didn't know if you had a, an extra. Oh, I think there's something in life that is really important for us, and it goes beyond this a little bit, but it'll come back to it. It's making pre-decisions. It is healthy in our life to know there are things we will not do and things we are willing to do. One of the, your predecisions that you are willing to do can be, I'm going to look for opportunities. I'm just going to turn on a sensitivity layer that I didn't have in the past for trying to meet other people's needs. Not everybody that you run into, but particularly people that you see that probably don't have the capacity to do that. I think we want to be predisposed to do for someone what they might not be able to do for themselves. So those are the people we want to have this sensitivity to and go broadly. There's a new movie, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, that I watched with my daughter, Emma, the other night, which is a great picture of what happens in the life of someone who is purposeful and thoughtful of others and is predisposed to helping when it costs them a lot personally. I'm going to go watch it. 
I'm serious about that. You encourage me, you inspire me, and I just want to say thank you for being a cheerleader and a dream enabler to countless others as well as myself. And we're going to have you and Pam back on because we got a whole parenting episode we need to talk to you about. Oh, good. That's our favorite subject. <laughs> I and, know. And, and we'd love to come. So great spending time with you. And thank you so much for giving me this opportunity today. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill. 